That second verse, I think, is such a beautiful verse. He said, oh, dearest Jesus, holy child, make thee a bed, soft, undefiled. In the manger, right? <laughs> we couldn't really call that undefiled. Where was the undefiled manger? He said, within my heart, that it may be a quiet resting place for thee. What beautiful words. And of course, as we contemplate this season and we're going to look at a moment for the, at the text of the carol that we're about to sing. As we prepare for this next one, Brother Unruh talked about it in Sunday school this morning, of the Father's Love Begotten, a song that was written many, many years ago by a Roman poet by the name of Aurelius Prudentius Clemens, I believe is how you pronounce that. But he wrote this hymn that is one of the oldest Christmas carols, Christmas hymns that we sing. Of the Father's love begotten, if you look it up online, it says that the, the basis of this text is John 3, 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. And I just want to read some of these, well, the entire hymn before we sing it. And let's just think about it. Meditate on these words for a few minutes. Such powerful, powerful words. He begins, of the Father's love begotten, ere the worlds began to be. Of the Father's love begotten. I love the way that's worded there. Not just he's begotten of the Father, but he's begotten of the Father's love. Why? Because of what I just quoted. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. You and I cannot claim to be the begotten sons and daughters of God. We are all adopted in. We are grafted in with the church. At salvation, you and I, we are made the sons of God, but we come by adoption. Jesus was the only begotten of the Father, and of course that came through the work of the Holy Spirit when he came on the Virgin Mary and the, the, the Father overshadowed her, and miraculously the Christ child was placed in her womb. But this was done of the Father's love because of his love for the, for the world, his desire to save us. He says, of the Father's love begotten, ere the worlds began. You know, sin was not a surprise to God. Jesus Christ was not a plan B. He was plan A from the foundation of the world. Jesus is spoken of as he who was the lamb that was slain from the foundation of the world. And in other words, before God even created everything, it was his plan to redeem man. He was creating man. He was creating man with a will. He knew that man would use that will, and he knew that man would use that will against him. Yet he created man, and he created a plan to redeem man. What a powerful thought that a poet so many years ago understood these concepts. Then he says, he is Alpha and Omega. He the source, the ending he. Alpha, of course, is the first letter of the Greek alphabet, Omega, the last. And he said he's the beginning and he's the end. He's the source and he's the ending of everything. And then he wants to give clarification. So the hymn writer says, of the things that are, that's things current, that have been, that's past, 
and that future years shall see. He's the source. He is the creator of everything that has ever been, anything that is, and anything that will be. He is Alpha and Omega of all those things. And then he ends the line of the verse evermore and evermore. These are truths that ring through all eternity. Then the second verse, the Sopranos will sing, Oh, that birth forever blessed when the virgin by God's grace, by the Holy Ghost conceiving, bear the savior of our race. People like to water this down today and they say a young woman was expecting a child. They think they're being gracious. They think they're being um, acceptable. They think that they're um, making it palatable for children to hear without having to explain this, but they are taking out a very important doctrine. She was not just a young woman in a village, but she was a virgin, undefiled. And God, by his grace, chose to use this young woman. We don't know how young she was, but probably very young. And God, the Holy Spirit, takes her and uses her in a mighty way. So of that birth forever blessed when the Holy, sorry, when the virgin by God's grace, by the Holy Ghost conceiving, bear the Savior of our race. Why did she call him Jesus? Why did Joseph call him Jesus? Because Jesus, Yeshua, we are more familiar with the English form of the name Joshua. It means Savior. Jehovah saves. Why would he be named Jesus? Because he came to be our Savior. He came to die for our sins and not ours only, but for the sins of the whole world. What a beautiful, beautiful thought. Oh, that birth forever blessed when the virgin by God's grace, by the Holy Ghost conceiving, bear the Savior of our race. Notice our race. One race here. Clemens is not talking about one particular group of people. He's talking about all people. This whole idea of race and racism, it's all been formulated by man because God created us one blood. There is really one race, and that is Adam's race, the human race, the sinful race. And Christ came and was born to be our Savior, to redeem us. What a beautiful, beautiful thought. And that babe, the world's redeemer, first revealed his sacred face evermore and evermore. And then on the last verse, there's other verses that were originally written and translated and some have been added, but this is another one of the verses often saved for the last. O ye heights of heaven, adore him. Angel hosts, his praises sing. What's he talking about? He's talking about all the hosts of heaven, which we understand that's who was at the birth that day. That's who was at the hillside with the shepherds. Because Hebrews chapter one says, when he bringeth in his first begotten into the world, he said, let all the angels of God worship him. So if you ever ask who is the heavenly host, it's all the angels of God. So the hymn writer says, Oh, ye heights of heaven, adore him. Angel host his praises sing. And listen to this next phrase. Powers, 
dominions bow before him. What's he talking about? Well, part of that is what we looked at a couple weeks ago in Ephesians. Ephesians chapter 6, 12 is one of the places that talks about these things. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. He calls for all powers, not just human, not just heavenly and angelic, but all powers and dominions to bow before him. And you know the day is going to come where everyone will have to bow before him. That at the name of Jesus, every knee shall bow, every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. At Christmas time, I can't think about that verse without having to chuckle and think about Herod. Herod the Great, or as my dad calls him, Herod the Not-So-Great, who told the wise man, you go and you find the babe, and then you come and tell me because I want to, and this is the only place this phrase is found in the Bible. I want to come and worship. Last week we sang the hymn, come and worship, come and worship. Where is that found in the Bible? It's found when Herod falsely says, oh, I want to come and worship. Well, it's a great invitation to come and worship, but Herod was lying. He did not mean that at all. And if you were here last week singing that and you didn't know the Lord Jesus as your Savior, you didn't mean it at all either. But you realize that if it hasn't happened already, there will definitely be a day when Herod the Great will be brought before Jesus Christ and he will have to get on his knees and confess that he is Lord. He is his Lord, the one he was scared of, the one the lunatic ruler was afraid was going to take over his little kingdom, is the ruler of all kingdoms. And so at Christmas time, and I think about that, every knee shall bow, every tongue confess, I have to chuckle and think about Herod, thinking, man, as he is lifting up his eyes in hell, One day he is going to get on his knees and confess that Jesus is Lord. He won't get to go to heaven. It'll be too late. But he will confess it. So the hymn writer just goes ahead and calls for everybody. Just all powers, all these spiritual things, all the dominions bow down before him and extol our God and king. What a beautiful thought. He's talking about Jesus, our God. Our king, this man wrote this hymn somewhere between the year 901 and 1000. I don't remember exactly where in there. Sorry. Yeah, 901, 1000, somewhere in there. This text was originally written in Latin. And all those years ago, he already understood that Jesus was our God. That's what um, Doubting Thomas said in the upper room, my Lord and my God. And he said, my God and King. And then he says, let no tongue on earth be silent. So he's dealt with the heavenly realm. He's dealt with the spiritual realm. Now he says, let no tongue on earth be silent. Every voice in concert ring. You say, well, my voice isn't that good. Well, the Bible doesn't says if say if your voice is beautiful, lift up a joyful noise unto the Lord. The scripture simply says, lift up, a, make a joyful noise unto the Lord, all ye people. Amen. 
And so the hymn writer says, let no tongue on earth be silent. Every voice in concert ring. I would rather hear a person singing their heart out to the Lord that cannot carry a tune in a bucket. And I've heard some church members that sing that way. <laughs> Not so much here, but I've been in churches where um, the loudest person in the church, man, he didn't know what a note was. He was in outer space looking for notes. <laughs> But he didn't care. He wanted to give his praise to Jesus. And so he stood up and just belted it out. And I think the Lord was more pleased than with the snooty Christian standing around him wishing he would hush up so it could sound pretty. <laughs> Let every voice in concert ring evermore and evermore. And then I love what the arranger does here. She has to add one more at the end. Evermore and evermore. The choir is going to sing now of the Father's love begotten. 